there is a bone in Gilead to make the wounded A Psalm of David for the Memorial Offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about my morning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. The light of my eyes, it also is gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have not become like a man who does not hear and whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Psalm 38 from the ESV. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Balm and Gilead podcast. That may very well have been the most beautifully read psalm <laughs> that we've ever had. Um, as you know, that wasn't. Yeah, that of, was amazing. That wasn't me. How did uh, your voice change like that? <laughs> I'm just that great. Uh, it wasn't Justin. That wasn't Grant. Uh, that was a guest. We have a guest on today. Um, this is third week in a row that we've had a guest on. I think there's a couple more weeks to come. Maybe even These more. These guests are the best, though. They are. This is, I think it's made our show a lot more fun. Uh, our guest today is a real-life published poet. Uh, she has five of the sweetest, funniest, coolest kids I have ever met. And she is married to the world-renowned podcaster and singer-songwriter, Brian J. Emerson. Who's he? Please, everyone, welcome my wife. Hi. My wife, Renee Emerson. <laughs> Yay. So we have R Renee on the show today. Uh, she uh, has two books published right now. You can buy on Amazon. Uh, Keeping Me Still was her first book and her second was Threshing Floor. Um, both of which are, I'd say, um, I, I really liked them a lot. The, the first one, Keeping Me Still, had a middle section that kind of followed a creative uh, retelling of the Rachel Leah Jacob narrative. The rest were kind of home poems, mostly about me. And <laughs> uh, her second book, uh, Threshing Floor, was about Naomi and Ruth. Uh, she has a third book of poetry coming out next year called Church Ladies. And not only that, she has a middle grade fiction novel uh, coming out next year as well uh, called... Uh, why Shep Miller needs to learn how to ride a bike. Must learn, Must learn how to ride a bike. <laughs> yes. Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I know uh, my daughters are big readers and mm. we have trouble keeping up with them and finding books that are, you know, good and interesting to read, but at the same time are 
not um, sketchy in various yes. ways. Yes, right? absolutely. Yes. <laughs> the world needs, like, don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah, the world needs more middle grade fiction. Uh, so I'm yes. very yes. excited to hear about that. And Justin doesn't know this yet, but he is the only one of the four of us sitting here that has not actually read the book yet. Oh, it's okay. We'll send him a copy. <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah we'll, we'll, send, we'll send you a copy. Yeah, Graham yeah. was one of the the test readers. He's a beta reader. He was a beta reader. Nice. Um, yeah. Beta, beta. Beta, beta. So, Renee, uh, we have kind of a list of questions we like to ask all of our guests uh, about music, because this is a show about music. What are some songs that you like to listen to? Who are some of your favorite bands? And uh, what kind of music recommendations can you give for us today? Well, I used to listen to a lot more music in high school and was like into all the indie bands. I loved like Death Cab for Cutie and all these things. And then after college, I kind of stopped listening to music altogether for a while. Um, And then I started listening to music again when we had kids and so and I still listen to a lot of the same stuff but um and I've recently started listening to psalms like poor bishop hooper and the emerson salter brian made for us the ball and gilead salter playlist um anyway so listen to that one too it's it's good. good yeah um, so for the kids, I really like, um, and for myself, I really like Dana Dirksen and all of her catechism songs. And she has like a billion of them. Um, so we listen to those and we like slugs and bugs, um, and rain for roots and see, I think thinking there's any other ones we listen to. Those are the main ones. The theology CD was really good. Theology. By Sovereign Grace. Um, so we do a lot of that mm. and sometimes I'll just have that playing, on my phone during the day in the background. Um, I do like Colony House, some of their albums. And um, I like John Foreman's solo stuff. And uh, yeah, I guess that's mostly, I like, I tend to like more folksy than like rock music. So, um, so yeah, that's yeah. what I listen to. We listen to a lot of poor Bishop Hooper in this house. Yeah, we do. We do like that. All right. Uh, what about, church what are some of your favorite songs to sing in church i really like hymns and uh, and so with the girls we homeschool and i used to i need to get back into doing this more regularly but um was really good about teaching them a different hymn every week and so they have some of those like classic hymns really really down um and so i always love it when and I mean, we haven't been in a church that plays a lot of classic hymns in a really long time, but when they do play one that the kids know, that's always really makes me happy because they can all sing out to it. Um, and so I, I really like hymns. I wrote down some of my favorites. Let's see. Um, I like, uh, this is my father's world. Love that will not let me go. Come thou fount. How firm a foundation. So just like some of the ones that are real classic hymns. Those are good ones. Yeah, our kids know all five verses of How Firm a Foundation. Like, they'll yeah, sing they all five verses. Uh, Onward Christian Soldier is a favorite it's, it's with a favorite for Diana. Diana. Um, <laughs> so, I really do. I'm like singing the Psalms is something that is really new for us. I like it, but it's uh, something that I haven't really implemented as much with the kids at home yet. But, um, but I'd like to do more of that in the future. So. Yeah. Oh, and I like the Gettys. That's always in the Gettys. <laughs> so she hasn't quite drank the Kool Aid from Matt and Matt yet. Matt mm, and Matt, we gotta change that. Yeah, <laughs> I get the Matts in there. Chain and chain. No, no, no. Matt and Matt. Matt and Matt. <laughs> yeah. John and John. John and John. Sure. Um, Don't call me Shirley. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I won't if you will. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so that's, uh, those are some good songs. I listen to a lot of those too, for some reason. We like that matches up pretty, pretty closely to what mm-hmm. I listen to. <laughs> yeah. Brian oh, pretty no. much is like, here's yeah. some music. You should listen to this. And either I hate it or I like it. Yeah. That's pretty true. <laughs> that's how my life yeah. is. It's like, exactly. there is no yeah. middle. Yeah. Yeah. There is no middle. There's no, no middle he's like, like, listen to this new song by John Foreman. I really love And I'm like, nope. Yeah, that happened this week. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. So 
we, we talked a little bit about these upcoming projects. Uh, I want to kind of open the floor uh, just for a little bit for you to be able to uh, kind of plug these these projects for Church Ladies sure. in your Shep Miller book. Kind of, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about what they are, about when they're coming out, where people will be able to purchase them and things like that. Sure. Uh, I'll start off with Church Ladies. It's a collection of poetry. It'll be published by Fernwood Press in spring 2022. Um, so it's a it's a very niche uh, area of poetry. I tend to write really niche poems, but it's a uh, persona poems. A persona poem is where you're writing in the voice of someone else. Um, and they're all persona poems from women from church history. So like I have one um, from... Ruth Graham Bell, um, Hildegard, um, trying to think of some of the other ones, Lottie Moon. So just a lot of women from all over church history, some very devout and worthy of copying some, not so much. (laughs) Yeah. Catherine Luther's one. Um, and some not so much, but, uh, so yeah, that's, that's the book. It's, um, mostly persona poem and it uh, it's divided into sections where you know some that were involved with musical aspects of the church some that were involved with like sunday school aspects so i kind of have it set up like in areas you would serve in the church as the place i put the women um persona poems so i, I did a lot of research into biographies for the book and it took me forever to write this book and then forever to find a home for it because um Catholics don't super love it because not all the Catholic women in there are portrayed in a positive light um and then there's not a lot of protestant poets um like there's like mm. five of us probably dozens <laughs> so it was hard to find so i found a press um it's a quaker press and they loved it so it's the right fit mm. um so that comes out and it's on their website firmwood press's website and also it'll be amazon like all the places online so um so yeah that one's coming out early next year or late next year sometime spring 2022 spring, spring 2022 <laughs> so yeah, no firm date yet. And then um, I have a middle grade novel coming out through Winter Goose Publishing, and it's called Shep Miller uh, Must Learn. Why Shep Miller Must Learn to Ride a Bike, um, and it kind of deals with topics of grief. Um, a little boy that's lost his mother, and he's um, taken away to a uh, his grandparents' town while there gone for the summer and just him trying to make friends and fit in. And he's kind of awkward and he's dealing with this place of being in grief while other kids don't understand what he's going through. Um, so it's sort of an adventure story too. Like there's looking for treasure and sneaking over fences and getting into a little bit of trouble. Um, but yeah, it's for like eight to 10 year olds. And, um, part of why I wanted to write it is cause I do have, some eight, I have an eight year old and a ten, almost 10 year old and they are voracious readers and there's not a lot of very good stuff. I mean, there's some classic middle grade novels, but a lot of what's getting published now tends to push agendas. And so you have to be really careful, um, what they read. And so I wanted to write something that, um, from a Christian worldview that, um, uh, was still an exciting, fun story. Yeah. And it was exciting and fun. <laughs> so you're not pushing CRT no, <laughs> there's no like two daddies in there or anything. So that's yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> but you'd be surprised when we go to the library with the girls. Um, I have to like skim through some stuff, uh, and we have to put a lot back, even picture books. So one of our good friends was talking about a book she was reading where she was like. 13 books into the series. Yeah, it was a big series. It's uh, some dragon dragon wings, maybe? Wings of yeah. Fire, maybe? Sure. It's a big series, like a popular one. Yeah, big series, popular yeah. series. She's like 13 books in, and then one of the characters had like two moms or was in love with the same sex or something like that. And she just said, she went to her mom. She said, I'm sorry, I can't read any more of this. Yeah. It's there. And uh, yeah, mm. it's just it's devastating. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so... It is always good to have good books out there. So maybe, maybe some uh, some interesting sci-fi stuff in the future. 
Working on, yeah. So over the summer, since we're taking a break from homeschooling, um, we do not homeschool year round. Um, I am working on another novel and it'll probably be done like in five years. (laughs) It'll take me forever, but um, it's another middle grade novel and more of like a sci-fi middle grade. Yep. So, yeah. I look forward to, to reading it. Yeah, I've got a rough draft done, but towards the end, I was like, I just got to be done with this thing. <laughs> so I have a lot of revising to do. All right. Um, so we have kind of had a pause on our questionnaire over the last few weeks because of because uh, of interviews, and they, they've been really fun. Um, but we're going to jump back in to an episode uh, this week where we have been talking about objective beauty. Uh, The question that we posed is, do the lyrics utilize poetic devices, form, and mnemonic to grasp for objective beauty, accessibility, memorability, and an appropriate emotional connection? And we've kind of gone deeper into that last half uh, of of that question. And so today we're going to, we're going to dive deep into poetic devices. Um, as such, we're going to kind of step out of our normal lane. Uh, we're not going to be talking about song lyrics. We're not going to be talking about music. Uh, we're just going to talk about poetry. Uh, my wife is very good at poetry. And uh, so she has a lot that she's been kind of putting together for this. But um, I did want to mention that uh, while poetry is a different art form than song lyrics, there are some overlap. And I do believe that the major overlap is in objective beauty, accessibility, memorability, and an appropriate emotional connection. Um, I also wanted to say that some lyrics are more poetic than others, just like some poetry is more lyric than others. Uh, But it's also important to note that a song doesn't need to follow every rule of poetry to be a hit. Uh, An example would be, she loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Not very good poetry, incredibly famous song. All right, so uh, without further ado, I am going to turn this conversation over to you, Renee. Uh, and I'm going to ask you just this one question to kind of get it started. How do you take ordinary, everyday words and make them beautiful? Okay, so I think that there is already beauty in ordinary words. And it, poetry, like the, the art of poetry is just pulling out that beauty and meaning and helping you notice it. Um, I think, well, just to ask you guys a question, when I, when you hear about poetry, like what do you think of when you think poetry? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I I tend to think of um, rhyme and meter and Mm -hmm. uh, careful selection of words, a, a bit higher structure than a free writing. Although, there are plenty of free written poems, um, but yeah, I guess that's what I, I, I tend to go where my mind tends to go. Yeah, I think um, so. Like if you tell someone you're a writer, there's a general like people kind of respect it. If you say I'm a poet, people tend to think either you are like writing in your Lisa Frank journal, um, these emotional rants, or you're like some highbrow intellectual intellectual person writing, um, things that they would never understand. Um, so, and I've, I've met many people when I say I write poetry, they're like, Oh, I hate poetry. I'm like, okay, thanks. <laughs> so we'll talk about something else. But, um, but really like, I, I think, especially if you look at modern poetry, there's a lot more, um, accessible stuff. It's not all indecipherable. Um, it's just that so far removed from public consciousness, like we're not really taught poetry as much um, in school. And it's just not something that your everyday person reads, um, not like novels. And so, uh, so anyway, I think as far as like looking at beauty in everyday language, um, you don't have to just look at classical poems. You can look at like the language that we're using today in America and still find beauty in, in the language. A lot has to do with um, word choice. Of course, there's some words that will make people cringe like moist. Like a lot of people hate that word and just will get mad if you say it. And then there's some words that like people generally all think are beautiful, like cellar door, um, just has a more melodic sound to people. Um, of course, tastes kind of vary 
but there's the melody aspect and then there's the meaning. Um, and so you can use with poetry, you use lineation, which is the, when you, you know, how a poem will look like uh, long and skinny. So line breaks um, help to make, to emphasize meaning um, and stanza breaks where you have like little paragraphs in the poem also emphasize meaning. Yeah. So, uh, so let's talk a little bit about imagery. Um, yeah. So imagery is, um, so you, you hear the word imagery, you think image. So it's pictures that you put in your poem, things you can picture in your head, like the red wheelbarrow, um, that usually will symbolize something in the poem. Um, so we have metaphors and similes, things like that, um, that will emphasize an emotion, the goal of the poem is to get your reader to um, feel the emotion you want them to feel. So in a way you're sort of manipulating their emotions, um, but you do that through word choice and imagery um, and lineation, all those different tools that you have as a poet um, to make them feel something. And that's the accessibility aspect. Like, so you have your really modern poems that you read them and you're like, I mean, there's some poets that I read and I'm like, I have no idea what they're trying to say here. Like I can faintly sort of see where they're going, but I think this is just a lot of sound. Um, and there are some poets that are very modernist where it is just a bunch of sound. Um, but I think that isn't the point of poetry. I think if there's not some sort of emotional connection with the reader, then why is anyone even reading it? Um, I think you have to be somewhat accessible it's okay to make your reader work to understand it. Like why did, why is that red wheelbarrow there? I need to think about that. Um, but it's, I don't think it's okay to completely close the door where they can't figure it out at all. Yeah. Would you, uh, would you say that, um, would you say that good poetry tries to, uh, tries to manipulate the emotions in a way that they are, trying to make the reader feel what they are feeling or do you, would you say that there's a lot of poetry out there that's just trying to make people feel a certain way for the sake of feeling a certain way? Um, like sentimentality. Like sentimentality. Um, yeah, I think you can overdo it and, and be sentimental. Um, so like sentimentality is, uh, I mean, I think all poetry manipulates the emotion, but this is to the extreme. Um, there, there was this course I took on sentimental literature and it studied um, books that were written during the prohibition. And so there'd be these books where it's like this guy took one drink and like two chapters later, he's dead in the gutter. It's like very extreme. And so um, you don't want to go that way with your writing where it's like so overblown. The emotional, uh, the emotion is just unbelievable. It's not relatable because it's so overblown. Yeah. So there is a subtlety to it as well. Uh, Louise Glick, uh, a very famous poet that I really admire, um, always said that a lot of the poem is in what you don't say. It's in the white space in between. And is that white space expressed through things like meter, things like uh, the line, uh, delineation? Yeah, like structure definitely separates, uh, is part of the aspect that separates uh, poetry from prose. Um, and you can use that, so when you, just to talk a little bit about the line. So when you look at a line of poetry, um, the first place your eye lands is on the first word. And then you kind of go to the last word and then the middle. And so what you want to emphasize, your first word, then your last word are the most important aspects. So this would be a cheesy poem, but if you broke at the word soul, the soul would have the bigger emphasis in that line. Um, so if you're wanting to play up a certain aspect, a certain word, um, then you put it at the end of the line where the eye is going to linger or at the beginning of the line where it first sees it. Um, so lineation makes a difference there. Um, meter also, I think, adds with the uh, melody of the poem and the beauty of the poem. Um, I, I tend to write free verse. So I don't work with meter as much. Um, but I do think it's a useful tool for a poet um, to be able to know the rhythm of words. Um, 
it's why like when you hear like a sonnet, you're like, that sounds good because it's metered. It has a melody. So what role does repetition have and what are kind of some creative ways that you could repeat a word, but like change the meaning and things like that? Uh, so repetition, again, that's going to be emphasis. So when you have your poem and I mean, the majority of poems published are like a page long. Uh, there's longer poems and there's people that write book length poems, but a lot of modern American poems are just like a page long. So if you have a word or a phrase that you repeat, like a refrain, um, it's definitely going to have a lot of weight in a poem where you might only have 80 words if you repeat a word. 10 times. That's a good chunk of the poem. Um, so for emphasis, I think, um, as far as like changing the word throughout the poem, I mean, that could reveal like different aspects of the word as you go along. I think that studying poetry, um, is really helpful if you're going to look at some of the books in the Bible that are poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have this Bible, the Literary Study Bible. Um, I don't remember who came out with that one, but uh, it, it talks about the different genres of each book. And I think realizing the Psalms are poetry, you know, can help you as you go through Ecclesiastes, things like that. Um, and looking for those poetic devices, particularly oh, sure. repetition, which you see a lot of, mm -hmm. um, how they emphasize. I, I think also about as far as the Psalms as poetry goes, um, one thing I really like about Psalms is they don't, they're not like song lyrics where they tend to come back to the beginning where they have like the ref the refrains, the chorus or whatever, not all of them anyway. I like how they kind of seem to meander. Like they start off like David's sad <laughs> and woeful. And then by the end though, he's praising God and he's kind of worked through all the things he was um, worried and anxious about. Um, so I really like that about the Psalms. I think that's very similar to how modern American poetry is now. You read a lot of favorite poems like that, where you're kind of working it out in the poem. So, um, have Justin and Grant, have either of you, um, have you really read any poetry like in college or anything like that, or maybe Dr. Seuss or something like that. <laughs> Lots of Dr. Seuss. Lots yeah. of Dr. Seuss. Yeah. I, no, I like poetry. I, I can't think of like, you know, back to college, which is bad. I mean, it was about, it was a little while ago, but um, what, I, you know, this may be just me, but it just seems like good poetry. Like it makes you feel like you're somewhere, but it's effortless kind of and maybe that's kind of the work that the the poet puts into it yeah i have read some poetry and uh american literature you know type stuff here and yeah. uh, i love going through that uh something that strikes me though is that you know people don't seem to have time for poetry anymore everybody's so busy uh that there's no time to stop and slow down and take in a poem uh reading is as much for information as anything else. And the faster that we can mm -hmm. get that into our brains, the better. Mm -hmm. uh, what role do you see uh, poetry playing in maybe providing a calm space or a space to kind of, um, and what, what kind of importance do you see it playing in the, in the world that we have today? Hi, patriotic post-production Justin here. Just letting you know that in this next segment, you're going to hear a lot of booms in the background, and I didn't want you guys to worry about that. What that is, is patriotic Americans in this land that were still shooting fireworks six days after July the 4th. Enjoy the rest of the episode. think that the society we have today, like they don't take a lot of time to read things, you know, they want their, like you said, they want it in quick bites. Um, I actually think poetry could be perfect for that. You just have to 
think about it and dwell on it a little bit longer. Uh, but there are even poems that have gone viral um, in the past few years, especially. I know, and I'm forgetting the title, but Maggie Smith had a poem go viral. And around the time, this was quite a while ago, when the Twin Towers fell, there was a poem, uh, Praise the Mutilated World, that went viral. And that's a new thing. And very exciting for poets in the poetry world to see, like, wow, all these normal people are reading poems, you know? Um, but yeah, that happens now where poems sometimes go viral. Um, and I think I'd love to see more of that happening. Um, I mean, poems, even if they're, I mean, a lot would have to do with accessibility. Like a poem that's going to go viral is not going to be your poem that is going to take you like two days of reading to figure out. It's got to be one a little bit more, um, you get something out of it on the first read. <coughs> I think a really good poem, a quality one, you'll get something in the first read, but you'll get even more on the second and third read. Um, so those kind of poems, to see them spread a little bit wider is nice. I don't see poetry ever being like like uh, taking the place of novels or anything in the American culture. Um, I think that most people just want to be entertained and kind of turn their brains off. And so I don't think poetry is as good for that, for turning your brain off. Um, there are some poetry books that get a little bit bigger. If you ever see like a poetry book at Target, that I can guarantee you that poet is like a mega star poet. Like for a poet <laughs> to get their book in Target, like that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, even the Barnes and Noble section, it's mostly dead poets. And like the living poets, there's like three books in there. So um to even see it out in the wild is amazing. But uh, yeah, I don't see poetry like suddenly coming back. It has a very like strong, passionate poetry world. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very academic. So a lot of poetry, um, a lot of poets are poetry professors and um, editors of magazines. And so it's sort of like an inbred little poetry world where like they're all literary magazine editors publishing other professors who are also literary magazine editors. So, but yeah, it, it is exciting when we see like a poet kind of break out of that and get into the larger consciousness. Um, like Mary Oliver, you've probably heard of her. Um, very famous poet. She would do readings that would like pack out stadiums. Like that's very uncommon. Um, Billy Collins, another very famous poet. Um, so you do see it sometimes. And of course, we have our inauguration poets. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think most of them probably end up being one-hit wonders because you can't really top that. There are no good inauguration poems. No. I'll say that on the <clears throat> record. Even Robert Frost did a bad job. This is commonly known. <laughs> Not just my opinion. <laughs> They're all bad. So a lot of my exposure to uh, poetry at a younger age anyway, came from Garrison Keillor, would often yeah. have whoever was the poet laureate mm -hmm. that year come on the show and share a number of poems. Mm -hmm. So it seems like uh, things like that mm -hmm. are also kind of how poetry gets out into the mainstream, maybe a mm -hmm. little bit. I guess what I'm wondering too is how has your study of poetry kind of affected how you view the Psalms now? And I know you were saying a little bit about that earlier, mm -hmm. but I wonder if you yeah. have a little bit more to say about that. Um, well, I, I think uh, reading it as poetry versus prose, you're going to pay more attention to each word choice. Um, why this word instead of another one? Uh, why inheritance? Why was that chosen there? Um, so it, it does give more weight to the words, um, especially the Psalms paying attention to the repetitions, um, what's repeated in the Psalm. So like looking at Psalm 16, it starts off with preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So it starts right off with preserve me. So like reading it as a poet, that main idea at the very beginning, first line, first word, it's pleading to be preserved. I, like I was looking at um, verse six where they say like, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So the progression of his thought pattern there, um, where kind of reflecting on what has happened in his life, 
and still being able to say that it's been good and that God has given me good things. Um, so I think reading it as a poet, I look at that. I look at um, kind of like how he moves through the ideas of the poem and what ideas tend to recur. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's helped me um, with the Psalms. Uh, Ecclesiastes is actually my favorite book of the Bible, but I do like the Psalms too. Um, I think they're both very beautiful and, and deeply meaningful. And um, yeah, it speaks to me as a poet. <laughs> We're actually going through Ecclesiastes at church right now. And I love it too. Um, I used to, I played golf in college and I would, whenever I would do bad, I would read Ecclesiastes because <laughs> it would like kind of even everything out. It's like, yeah, you did awful, but we're all living this vain life anyway. So right. <laughs> needless to say, I read Ecclesiastes a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I actually, like a lot of people don't like Ecclesiastes because they think it's depressing, but I think it's actually the perfect like poetic type of depressing where it's like, you know, this happens, that happens, we're all going to die anyway, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. it's a great book. <laughs> it's my favorite. Oh yeah. So, uh, little known fact, one of Renee's favorite bands in high school was Simon and Garfunkel. Yes. Classic. That was my dad's favorite too. Yeah. I was super cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. I am yeah. a rock. I am an island. Love it. So they're poetic. I think their lyrics are they, very they poetic. Are. They, they are very poetic lyrics, which is why I bring them yeah, up. Yeah, the sky's a hazy shade of winter. Is that the line? Yeah. Um, so that's very poetic. You read your Emily Dickinson and I, my Robert Frost. We mark our page, with, or we mark our lives with bookmarkers. I don't remember. <laughs> the years that we've lost something. Yeah. It's poetic. It's good. It's good. Like a bridge over troubled water. Yeah, that it is. Do you read the music that Brian writes and critique it? I don't critique it. (laughs) 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 No, I do sometimes. I I sometimes give suggestions, but most of the time, well, when Brian's writing music, he plays it again and again and again and again. So I don't have to read it because I hear it a billion times. Actually, one of the the questions that people ask us all the time is, oh, do you guys ever work together to write a song? And the answer is, we did it once. We don't play. I don't play that song anymore. But Mm. we wrote a, like a prayer. We did write a prayer. Together. We we did write a uh, a prayer for the food together. And it's a song. It is it is a song. So yeah, I stand corrected twice. And we were we successful. sing one of them every day. We sing one of them. And we did not fight when we were writing it. <laughs> it's true. We had we did have some uh, <laughs> some sessions where like I, I really think this word is the best. I really think that we, yeah. we do this, and then we talked about it, and, and it's <laughs> actually. It was that was a really fun experience, all in all. Um, yeah, it was kind of it was at a really difficult time yeah. when we decided to do it. But our kids were really into singing the prayer, and they there was this one that they learned in Sunday school, and it was it was meh. I mean, it was just like a Sunday school thrown together type of song. We're like, nice. We can do better. Yeah, we can do better, and so we wrote it out. We we basically we 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 wrote out our philosophy of what a prayer needs to be. Uh, specifically following the model of, you know, we pray to the Father in the power of the Spirit through the name of the Son. Um, and so we we made sure to in, include all of that. We um, we prayed uh, for the food, for the hands that made it, and uh, we prayed for the, the time of fellowship. You know, it was, it was uh, all the things that we think that a prayer of grace needs to needs to include and we sing it every day and the kids love it even diana she just belts it she belts yeah. it louder than anyone else but she only has one <laughs> volume so she's louder than anyone else yeah she's four she's very loud yeah they say that writing poetry is more difficult than writing a novel because with a novel uh the individual word choice is significantly less important you just got to get it all of it written like you you write it and it's done but the poem you know, it's every single word carries so much weight. You got to get it exactly right. And if you miss one word or if, if, if you get something out of, out of whack, then it could be life or death for the poem. Whereas if you miss one word, 
if you, if you, if you miss one word in the novel, no one's going to notice it. So the yeah. smaller, the smaller, the, or the shorter, the, the work, the, the more difficult. Of course they say that, uh, that Hemingway wrote a six word novel. I was just going to ask about six word stories. That's like, a thing right now. Yeah, that is a thing. Yeah. yeah. Is it like on Twitter? Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that's a myth, but that wasn't. Yeah, it, it was really attributed. It is attributed. But it was. Uh, I don't think it's true. Yeah. For sale, baby shoes never worn. Yeah. I, I think that's made up. I don't think it's true. Yeah, but, someone wrote it. But yeah, like uh, uh, writing a novel, it is like, uh, I mean, when you look at the song, tying this back to the Psalms, um, each word is more important. Not that any word in scripture isn't important, but has more mm-hmm. weight um, when you're reading through it. So uh, when I study the Psalms, I think about like, you know, why they chose inheritance there or my portion that's in there a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, prose, you have a little bit more room. I think it's easier to collaborate on prose because not every single word has so much weight. So as far as like things having weight in poetry, um, when I was in grad school, I wrote this one poem and my teacher was, uh, she's like, this ending is just not working. Uh, she said it was flaccid. I was like, ouch, you know, in a workshop. And she's like, you need to write me these last two lines. You need to write 20 different versions and bring them to class around and pick the best one. And so I brought them like to her sometime later. And she's like, I don't remember telling you to do this, but here's the best one out of what she wrote. (laughs) But yeah. I took you forever. (laughs) Yeah, I was stressing. Um, Her teacher, by the way, was Louise Glick. Which I do like. Yeah. Who is uh, just one won some big prize. Yeah, um, I remember. Yeah, trying to remember what it Didn't is. Didn't you win a Nobel Google Prize? It. I think it was the Nobel she Prize. She won the Nobel Prize. Yeah, for was, poetry. I should have hmm. known that off the top of my head. Yeah, it was the Nobel Prize. It was. It was a big deal. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Prize. So she's a big right deal. There. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so things like that where you're agonizing over each word. Now, being out of grad school, I can write my poems and nobody hardly reads them until they're sent to an editor and I don't ever see them face to face and they either accept them as they are or they reject them. So I don't have to agonize quite as much. I just have my own standards to keep up with. Um, So hopefully my poems are better than they were just from practice, but I don't agonize quite as much. (laughs) So uh, I think just to kind of sum up kind of what we have learned in this episode as far as poetic devices, uh, you know, we, we can use things like, like imagery, like repetition, um, like the, the lineation, um, you know, meter and, and rhyme are important, but more important in lyric writing than they are necessarily in, in poetry. But, but even then they're just two different, poetic devices that are, that are used. Um, I, I think when I am looking for, for music in particular, when I, when I think of a song that's just really good, um, especially when it's, when it is a well-written, well-constructed song, more so than just like what is popular. So what is good over what is popular? Most of them are going to incorporate these poetic devices very well and they're going to strive to find the beauty in the ordinary words and um and i think that that's i've listened to songs i'm like i just just don't get it like it's not it's not a good song it's just it's really boring um and the reason why is because it's shooting for that popularity it's missing the mark on the beauty it's getting the accessibility maybe the memorability but not necessarily the beauty so i just wanted to post i just one more question. Uh, what are some psalms that have been uh, meaningful to you? Um, so I was talking about Psalm 16 earlier. Uh, that one's been really meaningful. I like the poor Bishop Hooper uh, cover of it, I guess. Um, I, I really like that one. Um, just like the lines about, like, I will not be shaken. Um, I will rejoice and dwell secure. So like if, you're struggling with worry or anxiety. I think it's a really helpful Psalm to pray through. Um, So I really like that one. Also Psalm 139. Um, 
And I really like that one because um, it's talking about how God will be with you wherever you go um, and how even if you think you're in total darkness, uh, the darkness is light to God. Um, so I like how, how it kind of turns that idea of darkness and being in Sheol and in the pits of despair, it turns it on its head. And it's like, even in those times, God is with you and it's not dark to him, even if it is to you. So those would probably be my two favorites. Yeah. So do you guys have any closing thoughts before we uh, wrap the episode up? Uh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Uh, We've been wanting to talk with you for a while and I feel like there might be more there too. Um, So when we run into a difficult question, I mean, would you mind coming on again and uh, explaining to us? (laughs) Okay. I can be a resident poet. (laughs) I love it. Um, We'll add you to the payroll. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry we don't pay a lot, but yeah. you'll get double whatever get Brian gets. <laughs> Poetry pays nothing. So it's not one hundred percent true. She she did get paid for a poem recently. Yeah, mm. I did get yes, I got a hundred dollars for That's my poem. Awesome. <laughs> Most literary magazines don't even pay you when you get published in them. Really? Yeah, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. They give you a magazine. Like they give you a, you get a, a copy, copy of the magazine. So this is a sweet deal for them. So they, they uh, are hard to get into and they have so many people wanting to get into them. They don't even pay. They in fact charge people to submit sometimes, not all oh, of them wow. do, but some of them charge like three to $5 to for you to send the poem to them, <laughs> which they can then reject or they publish it and you get paid nothing. So wow. yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That's Pobiz, as they call it. <laughs> it is called that. <laughs> I need no to get them. into Pobiz, I think. There's no biz. So, like you need to check out Poetry Twitter because it's so funny when they get, um, when there's a scandal, it's like the smallest little thing. Like so-and-so plagiarized a line from so-and-so else. And it's just like uh-huh. people are crying. It's yeah. just like exploding i love the one where the where the lady the girl got like a big prize for a poem that she wrote that she had uh that she had stolen from someone else and she had gotten a line of it like tattooed to her to her back and like comic stands yeah and the original poet that wrote the line said my only regret is that she got such bad font (laughs) (laughs) wow how do you select comic sans as like the font that you want on on your Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I created a new font for my tattoo. I made it myself and I had David McCookie's wife help. Mm-hmm. That's good. the way to go. It is the way yeah. to go. Yeah. So poetry Solid. Twitter. So poetry Twitter. Absolutely. That's a good reco. Um yeah. I'm gonna go check that out. I mean Yeah. Uh what are some hashtags maybe that poetry ch- Twitter tends to use that would be especially interesting? Am writing. So the, that's okay. when writers are complaining about writing on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they'll hashtag that they are actually writing. Um, but uh, mm. see, usually they only hashtag stuff if they're in trouble. Like Poetry Magazine was in trouble recently. So they were all hashtagging Poetry Magazine. Um, but yeah, if you start following enough poets, you'll see some of their little dramas. And, and it's funny to watch. But usually... Poets are getting mad at other poets or literary magazines, things like that. So she's going to post this episode on her poetry Twitter. And she'll hashtag it. So just follow, mm-hmm. follow uh, Renee's at this quiet hour. Is yes, that, this yeah, quiet hour. This quiet hour. So that's on uh, Twitter and Facebook and not Instagram. On Facebook. And- We're not on Facebook. Not on Facebook, and I don't let anyone follow me on Instagram. Zucky's not getting any of our money. So, uh, so, but I am on Twitter, and I I do tweet. Yeah. <laughs> so and uh, yeah, sorry. What was the handle one more time? This quiet hour. This so. quiet hour. Mm-hmm. All right. Mostly because Renee Emerson has too many E's in a row. It does. It's confusing. <laughs> and if you throw in her just, middle initial, which is also E, e. also E, <laughs> so, Renee Emerson. Yeah, it's bad. Oh it's, man, it's really bad. Yeah. So, uh, but I am on Twitter, and I also blog. 
reneeemerson.wordpress.com. All right. So uh, as we come to another close, I just want to say that all things bright and beautiful, all things great and small, all things wise and wonderful, our Father made them all. There is a bomb in the to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in the to heal the sin-sick soul. To never feel discouraged, Jesus is your for listening to the Balming Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereis at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balming Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback So rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast. Brian sent a picture of Diana and Bear just starting to cruise. And it was just like, oh my goodness. I remember those days. That was, yeah, no, it was great. It was really Little really Batman, beautiful. Batman shirts. Yeah, I went. Mm-hmm. I went and I, and I picked up some some t shirts for Bear. Got him a Batman, Superman, Captain America, and Star Wars. And and uh, I showed. I, I took a picture of one of them because it was a little bit smaller than we were wanting, but I really, the size was a little bit smaller. So I took a picture just to see how big it was. And Diana saw it and goes, "It's so beautiful." It was Batman. It was a black Batman shirt with a with a yellow logo. She goes, it's so beautiful. Does, does it come in my size? <laughs> she wanted it for That's her birthday. She, her wanted birthday. It, she wanted it for her birthday, which is coming up. So her birthday is and she keeps um, adding to her list. Adding to her she list. Wants. So she's told me she wants a charm bracelet. She wanted the Batman shirt, and she wants Santa Claus to bring her diamonds. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow, that's a good one. Yeah, that was a good <laughs> one. That was a good one. So I was like, <laughs> I can, I was like, I can make the t-shirt happen. So. I don't know about the diamonds, but so I got, <laughs> I got Diana a matching Batman t-shirt, and I got myself a matching uh, Captain America t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So yeah, living the dream. She'll have to depend on Santa Claus for the diamonds. Yes.